Hello, everyone. Thank you for being with us today. Today's a different day than we're used to. Usually this sanctuary is bustling, and a lot of that has changed for many reasons. And the bustling and the congregation will be back. But today we are pausing in the way we usually do things. With the recent government statement that all non-essential workforces should stay home, that's not why we're on pause, because we, we consider ourselves to be essential. The life that we share, the community of faith that flows from one to the other here, the, the chance to see each other on a Sunday and to share in the collective joy that is so much a part of our life together, those are essential things. The Spirit moves here in ways that are very special. And actually, that's the reason why we are on pause, because we are essential. Saville Congregational United Church of Christ is essential. We are essential to the faith tradition we share, to the love of God that fills us, and to the requirement that we have as faithful people to let others know that in justice and love and compassion and with mercy, we stand together in solidarity. And so for today, this Sunday, we are on pause in this sanctuary. But we are not on pause in our worship or our connections for each other, with each other. So enjoy what we've put together for you today. I think there are some things that will remind you of what you haven't forgotten. How wonderful it is to be together and with a promise that we will be together again soon. Welcome to worship.
Please join me for the call of worship on this fourth Sunday of Lent. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow and of death, I am not afraid. For you are ever with me. Your rod and staff, they guide me. They give me strength and comfort. Come protected, comforted, and unafraid. Let us worship together. Please join me in reading today's unison prayer. Oh, that today you would listen to his voice. Do not harden your hearts in or out of the wilderness. There is perhaps no better moment of shining grace than when we have kids around us. So just so we don't get too used to any order, I've swapped things around a little. And if the kids would come up, you want to come up now? Bernie, you want to come up? Bernie is our Sunday school teacher. Come on up, Bernie. Abigail and Addison, come on. We're going to come over here a little bit. Come on over. We're going to put some words up here. You ready? All right, Mark, let her rip. What's the first one? Can you see that? Hi, everybody. Hi. Hi. What's the next one? 
Salam. Do you know what Salam means? It means peace in Persian. And hello, basically. It means hello. What's the next one? Neho. Say that again. Where is that from? China. Cantonese. And, oh, we got a couple. We got Konishiwa. Can you say Konishiwa? Konishiwa. Go ahead. Very good. That means hello in Japanese. Konishiwa. And good day. Mike, what's a good day? How about the next one? Or, bonjour. Can you say bonjour? Oh, look at that. Show everybody how you do that. Could you show everybody how you do that with the on? No? Okay. That's right. Bonjour. French? What else we got? Yo! Yo! I got into so much trouble as a kid for saying yo. What else? And greetings? Say greetings. Let's look out at everybody and go, greetings! Greetings! What's next? What's cracking? What else we got? What's cracking? Namaste. Namaste. Namaste is um, Indian, yes? Right? Uh, and where else we got? Hola. Hola. You say hola? Hola, como estas? Bien? Ah, alright, and what else we got? Jumbo. Jumbo? Jumbo, Nigerian. And, hey. But I used to say hey when I'd see somebody, and one of my parents would say, hey is for horses. Ciao. What's ciao? Italiano. Can you say ciao? Ciao. Ciao. And what else we got, Mark? German. And anything else up there? Howdy. It's howdy duty time. What else? And all of those words, saying hello, when we say them in the right way, it's the same thing as saying peace. When you say hi to somebody, when you say hello, when you say hello, that's like saying peace, right? So what I want to ask you to do, could you come on over here with me? Let's all twirl. You do it much better. Could we all say, we're going to wish people the peace of Christ, okay? So what we do is we say, may the peace of Christ be with you. You ready? May the peace of Christ be with you. And now let's go around and say peace to everybody in all the ways we know how to say hello. Would you help doing that? Okay, let's go. Peace be with you all. You've got to spread the peace. Come on, who do you want to say hi? Let's say hello over here. Let's go get Jesse.
Today's Gospel reading is from John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. As he walked along, he saw a man without sight from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born without sight? Jesus answered, Neither. He was born without sight, so that God's works might be revealed in him. We must work the works of the one who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva and spread the mud on the man's eyes, saying to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. Then he went and washed and came back able to see. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar began to ask, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some were saying, it is he. Others were saying, no, but it is someone like him. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept asking him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it over my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. Then I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been without sight. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also began to ask him how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put mud on my eyes, then I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not observe the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And they were divided. So they said again to the man without sight, what do you say about him? It was your eyes he opened. He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been without sight and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was without sight? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born without sight. But we do not know how it is that now he sees, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. 
His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that anyone who confessed Jesus to be the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was without sight, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses. But as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, here is an astonishing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born entirely in sin, and you were trying to teach us, and they drove him out. Jesus heard that they had driven him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Humanity? He answered, And who is he, sir? Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and the one speaking with you is he. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, I came into this world for judgment so that, that those who do not see my for those who do not see may see, and those who do see may become without sight. Some of the Pharisees near him heard this and said to him, Surely we are not without sight, are we? Jesus said to them, If you were without sight, you would not have sin. But now you say, We see. Your sin remains. I like the way so many of these stories start out in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. There is Jesus and these four words as he walked along. It's calming. It's assuring. And yet, there's no question that he has a sense of purpose. Jesus always has a sense of purpose. 
And that's the message, I think, for us to seek in these readings. He saw a man without sight. He was walking along, he saw a man without sight. Now, those in Jesus' culture in the day would right away say, oh, you know, what did he do wrong? Look at, look, or what did she do wrong? They're blind, or they're this, or they're that. They must have done something wrong. Because that's the way, that's the way it was understood. If something not good happened, if somebody was in some way carrying an illness or some condition, it was because something had gone wrong, they had done something wrong, or someone in their family did, even long ago, and they were being punished for it. Your ailment, your condition, this is your punishment. So they said, Jesus, who sinned in his family for him to deserve this? The disciples were works in progress, much like we. And so this little bit of a sense of arrogance in their style, like, what did he do? What, did, what happened? He must have done something wrong. I wonder if Jesus looked at them and just shook his head a little bit. They haven't been listening. They're still looking at others' outsides for answers to what they can only find inside. Not much different than that first encounter with Nicodemus or last week with the Samarian woman. Their fears of what happening to others or what happens to others happening to them, their fears distanced themselves from others. Someone like this person, and they justified their distancing by finding enough guilt and enough reason to punish him to stay away. Well, Jesus sort of says no. Didn't even answer the question. Instead, instead he told them that this person is going to reflect God's glory for you. Not needing to say again, even though he might have. Something about this person without sight was going to bring them closer in their sense and their sight to the God that loved them. And so Jesus healed him. And in so doing, the narrative continues revealing the prejudice against Jesus, which we knew about, the prejudice against those who were different and shunned, we knew about, and the revealing by the end of this narrative that not only did this healing of this person's blindness reveal the glory of God to others, and to him, I'm sure, it also revealed the narrowness and the bitterness and the arrogance of the elite. It revealed their distance from God, from God's compassion, especially for those who somehow didn't meet their standards. These were tough folk in the time of Jesus, you know. They loved their power. 
More than it appears they love their God with all their soul and all their heart and all their might, it seems. They love their power. You know, it's funny. So often when we are moving along, when we are on our way, aren't we wondering what will be next? Jesus turns all of that around in all of his teachings. He changes the thought to something closer to how will I be true to myself, to my God and my purpose as I move through this life here? As I walk along, how will I be who I am? How will I reveal God's presence to others? More than, oh, I wonder what's going to happen to me. Time and again, the message towards those who struggle repeats itself. Compassion, love, Justice, faith, and the trust in a God who is greater than ups, our ups and our downs is the message. And it's the message we carry. The message that was carried then. But when we are in enormous times of stress like now, when I am in enormous times of stress with you like now, I can find myself thinking, Yes, of course, of course. But I need something more now, more than just the compassion and the love and the trust and the faith. I'll get back to that. It's not going to go away, but I need something now, more tangible, more something. And once I go there, as if it is waiting there to fill the vacuum, mm, control, Fear, contempt, and judgment rush in to fill the void. What did we do wrong to bring this upon us? What group caused this? Let's find them and get them. How long will I be punished and have to suffer for the things others have done wrong? It seems... It's as easy today to feel these things in our own culture as the ancients did in theirs. Human nature seeks reasons for why things happen, which is different than what causes things to happen. The why flounders with wild answers and conspiracies. Why? Why did this happen? Oh! The what, however, digs more deeply inside, trying to understand what happened. What are the conditions that we can change? How can we be helpful without diving in to resolutions of retribution for everything? It's different. The what, the why, like accountability. We talk a lot about accountability. We talk about an accountability that demands whose sin caused this one to be punished. That's an accountability that's different, different than the accountability that pertains to a balance of justice. One, the accountability of who caused this seeks to blame the other for some reason. Find a reason to blame someone. 
And sometimes the only reason for doing that is to assuage ourselves. That as long as we don't do what they did, what happened to them will not happen to us. And that, that's not protection, that's fear. That's not accountability, that's fear. Consider that versus an accountability that assesses fair and honest, compassionate, and an even justice, which has at its core what is always at the core of such things, mercy. Even if a behavior or a discipline is required to address such things, mercy trumps fear's power. Not because of how weak it is to be merciful, but because of how, because of how powerful mercy truly is. And this kind of compassion and patience with others, especially in stressful times, requires intentionality and it requires practice. It is not so easy to refrain from blame or arguments or bickering or fearful retreats into some corner of isolation when we are stressed and we are threatened. But someone has to do it. It can't always be Jesus. That's why he teaches. Earlier this week, a friend from Westchester County in New York called me. She told me of a neighbor in his 90s whose wife of many decades had been hospitalized because she had contracted COVID-19, the virus. Neither he nor any member of his family could visit her. Within a few days, alone, except for the first responders and the caregivers around her from the hospital, she succumbed to her illness. It will now be a long time before final arrangements can be made. Her husband lives in loneliness made worse by being kept from his wife in her final moments. Loneliness made worse by the fear that he may die before he can place her remains to rest. There are thousands now facing such losses with a grieving that has gripped us all, gripped us some with compassion and some of us in fear. Only one of those is part of the solution. This gentleman's neighbors surround him today, doing all they can. As they moved on in their lives, their friend, their neighbor needed help and they stopped to help. They didn't shun him. They didn't avoid him. They weren't too busy to keep an eye on him because maybe it was just too uncomfortable to face the fears they had for themselves. They stepped in with calmness and a purpose the way that we in this congregation do. But you know, there have been times in our history when that wasn't the case. I return again to the AIDS crisis, which we spoke about last week. In the 1980s and 1990s, when the AIDS crisis was ravaging my community, we faced many barriers to the visitation of loved ones and friends 
who had been hospitalized. When they would die, we would often be denied services or burials in many funeral homes, sanctuaries, and cemeteries. From 1981 to 1989, during the most critical time of the virus's spread, the president and his administration referred to the illness as the gay plague. Gay plague? Not ours, them? Others? 89,343 people would die of the virus in the United States by the time his term was done. There would be no tests for over a year and a half after he took office. And the first time he would mention the virus in public was in 1985 at a press conference addressing whether or not children with AIDS should be allowed to attend school. I can see both sides of the argument, he said. There are good people on both sides. It wasn't until I began attending a Protestant church in 1994 that I once again started to believe in the potential for organized religion and congregational life to be compassionate and loving without restrictions. I found the power of mercy in its complex meaning, a blend of compassion, love, faith, justice, and trust in God that I need to have reminded to me as well as practiced by me. And that's what I find today again in the Gospels. And as this virus now has everyone's attention, I hope others find this message in their lives too, in some way to not forget the love, the compassion, the justice, and the mercy. Not just, oh, why did this happen? Not just the accountability of retribution, but the mercy that trumps it all. As people of faith, I believe that our role is to be merciful and strong with our actions, our resources, our intellect, and the voices that speak from deeply within us. What we believe needs to be said in a way that can be seen and heard. No person, no thing, or condition is more powerful than the mercy we have received and we've been given to share. Nothing is more powerful than the combined love, the compassion, and the power of our resplendent, resilient, relentless voices and actions to match those voices. We have all been through things. Lent reminds us that we are not the only ones to have ever struggled in this world. It reminds me, too, that God is not an insurance policy, you know, but an active and daily presence in our lives, a resource to call upon, reminding others of the same resource to call upon. 
God is always in invitation mode. Come in. Inviting us to call upon God, this resource of life in the expression of our love and our compassion, and doing our best to practice it in all the actions we take and to insist upon it in the actions others take. All while listening deeply, as painful as it may be, to those who mourn and cry from any distance. For we are meant to hear as well as to speak. As a friend of mine likes to say, thank God for God. And thank God for each of you. So now we come to the time in our worship where we, we remember those and joys and concerns and our prayers and concerns. And we'd like to take a moment here to pause to let you remember those who are on your hearts and minds today with the many that we've already spoken about, holding everyone in our prayers as we go through this time together. And especially in our prayers today, please keep in mind Jeannie Newcomb, who called to let us know, to let me know, and to share it with you that she's been diagnosed with the coronavirus. Um, She is home. She has a mild case of it. She's watching it. She's taking care of herself. She sounds just like Jeannie, a little bit tired, but she wanted everybody to know that she, along with many others in our community that we don't know of, but we are sure are there, are experiencing the effects of this illness. So please 
Keep Jeannie and her family in your prayers, and if you feel ill, please be sure that you get yourself checked as well. So thank you for remembering Jeannie in your prayers today and these coming days. Thank you. Please take this moment to remember those you wish to pray for. And so let us pray as we do each Sunday the prayer Jesus taught his disciples in the way you learn to pray it.
And so we come to the close of our time together. Thank you for joining us in the sanctuary today. And we send out our prayers to all of you. We especially want to give thanks to many people who made this possible. And to the leadership of the congregation, we met online and in conversations several times to talk about what would be the right thing to do this weekend. Thank you again. This is just for this Sunday, just as a reminder. We're taking this day by day, so please check online at our website, www.savillecc.org. That's the best place to go. We update that daily. There's plenty of information there. And we'd love to hear your comments about how this went for you today, how we might improve it, and uh, hope that you have felt some of the comfort and the love and the compassion and the joy we have in thinking about you, thinking about us, praying in the presence of this God that loves us all. Go in peace, my friends, to love and serve and be just and share your voice and your actions. May they all be filled with the mercy, the love, and the heart that God has given us to share. Amen. Thought I did what's right. I thought I had the answers. I thought I chose the surest road. But that road brought me here. So I put up a fight And told you how to help me Now just when I have given up The truth is coming clear This has been a test I cannot see the reason But maybe knowing I don't know Is part of getting through I try to do what's best And faith has made it easy To see the best thing I can do Is put my trust in you for you saw one cloud and thought it was the sky I saw a bird and thought that I could follow But it was you who taught that bird to fly If I let you reach me, will you teach me for you?
answers you supply.